Angus at Work, a podcast for the profit-minded cattlemen. Brought to you by the Angus Beef Bulletin, we have news and information on health, nutrition, marketing, genetics, and management. So let's get to work, shall we? Hello and welcome to Angus at Work. I'm your host, Casey Brown. We all want to make more money, right? Maybe it's to expand, to let another generation come back to the farm. Maybe it's just to bolster your bottom line. Adding enterprises are creative ways to provide that extra income to your operation. My guests today have plenty of experience, ideas, and advice for anyone considering adding an agritourism enterprise. This episode is brought to you by Certified Angus Beef and their Feeding Quality Forum this August, and we want to thank them for their support. Now, this episode is a bit longer than our normal time frame, but I promise you that this is worth it to listen to the whole thing. Stephanie and Andrew share tips on what worked and what didn't in their own environment, marketing tips, handling liability, adapting to challenges, and much, much more. So I'll start this episode by saying you can find more information about our print Angus Beef Bulletin and digital Angus Beef Bulletin Extra to help make Angus work for you in our show notes. So let's dig in. I am joined today by Andrew Donnell and Stephanie Mock. Um, welcome. Um, l- tell us a little bit about your background and your operations background, if you would. Hi, my name is Stephanie Mock. I am the sustainability manager of Kualoa Ranch, located on Oahu in Hawaii. Awesome. And tell us um, a little bit about your background um, in ag or just in, in general. And tell us how long Kualoa Ranch has been around. Sure. So Kualoa Ranch started in 1850. So it's a little over 170 years old. And it's really a diversified farm and ranch and huge agritourism operation nowadays. My background in agriculture, I've been working with Hawaii farms and ranches for about seven years now in different con- capacities, either through business or nonprofits. So my experience really stemmed most um, from working at an RCD council, working on conservation planning, soil health, carbon farming, that kind of thing, and also offering opportunities to uh, farms and ranches to try out agritourism without committing to it. So hosting an annual event where any farm who wanted to host a tour, and we would teach them how to host tours and what, what are the different things you need to consider when opening up your property to the public. Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, I'm Andrew Donnell. I'm a seventh generation farmer in Jackson, Tennessee, and I grew up in the Angus business. All right. I served, uh, <laughs> so I, I showed cows and, and loved it and even served as a National Junior Angus Board of Director oh from goodness. 96 to 98. So right. I, I love the Angus business and uh, love the agritourism business as well. So we're, we have a diversified farm, so we production agriculture, we grow cotton, corn, and soybeans, and then we obviously have Angus cows. And we recently put in a butcher shop on our farm. So we have on-farm sales where we're actually cutting the meat. They're cutting it, cutting some right now while I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And then we have a corn maize and pumpkin patch that we've kind of expanded and tried to meld the three worlds or three businesses kind of together. The, the, the row crop production side, the, the agritourism side of people coming out and experiencing the farm, having that hands-on, and then being able to take something home that, that kind of memorable moment where they can come out and see the cows feed the cows and take some of the cows home one at a time (laughs) that's perfect take little parts um so tell us how old is your operation um and you so you came back to the farm um tell us how how it started and then how you kind of took it in your own direction john donnell settled or it was deeded 
1832, and we're from North Carolina. The Donalds are over there, and we assume it took them three years. Probably they were there in, in 1834, but just nice round numbers, 1835, <laughs> I think. Mom did the, did the genealogy and the history. So we've always had livestock there on the farm. And so my dad was very involved with Herefords. He was on the second ever Junior Horned Hereford board. And so he grew up with Herefords, and then he had a change of heart. He, he saw the light, right, <laughs> and uh, decided to switch over to Angus when we, were, when we were little. And we bought some Angus cows from a, a gentleman there, John uh, Sanford Smith there in Jackson. Had great, great foundation herd, super nice gentleman. And then we've also added to the cow herd over the years through Robert Elliott and Sons and different different ones uh, over the years. And then my mom's goal was to tell our story of agriculture. We need to be advocates for agriculture because if we won't, someone else will. And they don't really understand why you have to slow down on that on that road. And my joke is our our, our goal for our agritourism is to make sure the next time you pass the tractor, you wave at us with your whole hand <laughs> instead of telling us we're number one. Because <laughs> like all we're trying to do is just feed the world. And so mom started the agritourism, and then I have grown in, and mom's kind of more retired. So we're, we're, we're trying to do it all, right? Mm-hmm. So just trying to continue the family operation and prepare for the next generation. Stephanie, you said something earlier that I really liked was that you still need your foundation of production agriculture and how you can layer these agritourism um, enterprises on top of that. Can you talk to that a little bit and, and what kind of experiences layer on top uh, at Kuloa Ranch? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in our branding and marketing and ultimately our values, we are a working cattle ranch and farm. Um, and that has been a huge value of the Morgan family. Um, the sixth generation is now stewarding the property that they want to keep these open undeveloped spaces for farming and ranching for local food security for feeding the world um, but also keeping that culture alive and I think sometimes you know we think change is scary for everyone it doesn't matter what industry you're in and so this idea of um, adding enterprises to your farm and ranch seems like you're taking away the farming and ranching and really what you're doing is you're layering on top of the foundation of the ranch you're doing something to support that foundational core so that you can continue to do what you love and to protect your property and land that you care so much about so you know when we look at agritourism at Kualoa Ranch uh, ultimately we have our grazing schedule mapped out we have our farming operations but we work hand in hand with our tours and our operations side to see how we can compromise do we need to um, move the cattle elsewhere for an event how can we do that without uh, hurting the the feeding or the grazing pattern so adding enterprises isn't an either or it's it's shaking of hands between two different industries and ultimately it's going to help protect your ranch um, because you have that diversified income structure coming in so if you're having a bad year cattle wise you can still rely on income from tourism to help get you to that next year or even that next decade 
Absolutely. Um, so tell us about some of the, the layers at Kuloa Ranch. What kind of things have you added on to the working cattle ranch? Absolutely. So we started ag tourism in uh, really the 70s with horseback tours. And honestly, I think that was really just to give our paniolos, our cowboys, something to do um, after lunch, <laughs> perhaps, when the weather's a little bit hotter. And it was really just an opportunity and... It wasn't formalized in any way. It was mainly someone would walk up, be like, you want a horse tour? Yeah, okay, great. And it wasn't until the 1980s that we formalized agritourism. And I think we went really big, really quickly. And I think that was to capitalize on the Japanese tourism market at the time. So we did everything from single rider ATVs, horsebacks, helicopter tours, um, scuba diving, which most people don't have that opportunity (laughs) at a ranch um, but we uh, were capitalizing on that but nowadays we've kind of streamlined it into more um, activity-based experiences so for example it's our zip line or it's our UTV tours um, it's our electric bike tours and the idea is to experience the land and get a feel for the land because a lot of the public doesn't have access to these wide, large open spaces that they can get close and connected to. Um, so with looking at adding enterprises, I think probably one of our most popular is our weddings. We do about 400 weddings a year. Um, and because we are in Hawaii, we can do weddings all year round. And I think additionally, um, our movie filmings as well. So wide open spaces, movies love that. They can come in and build a movie set really quickly and kind of capitalize on that open space as well, which I think a lot of people don't think about um, at first. And I know that we're also blessed with this really beautiful tropical mountain <laughs> landscape that maybe not every ranch has, but it's how do you take what you have in your backyard and use it to your benefit and your community's benefit. Absolutely. Andrew, your resources are probably more what a lot of our listeners are going to be like. So talk to us about the layers that you've added on to your operation. Yes, we do not have any tropical mountains. That's a... <laughs> but, <laughs> but I love that. <laughs> what, so a, cool. what a great explanation of exactly what agritourism is. Taking something that you love and showing that love, you know, what you grew up with generationally, and, and passing that on to the next generation and providing an opportunity for the community to find love for that same land. Back to the question. <laughs> I just couldn't help no, answer that. that. I Thank love you. that. Too perfect. <laughs> so traditionally, we are a, we really love the cattle business, but being in West Tennessee in a row crop area, we knew that that wasn't going to be the ability to be sustainable. So when I got home from college, that's what dad wanted me to focus on. And so I did. I focused on it. We, we really enjoyed that side of it. We had bull sales and had a great time and were looking for a way to continue to diversify. So we started going to the farm market in Memphis. And so we would sell, what are we going to do with some of those animals that are not quite ready for seed stock production, right? So what are we going to do with them? Um, we could either sell them on the rail and try to go CAB because we all know that's the best or we could sell them ourselves and so we had to decide which was the avenue that was going to be best for our operation and we did some of both Mm -hmm. so we we tried our best to hit the hit the rail and to hit that premium and then what we could market we would market as well and then mom while while we were doing that dad and I were doing that mom was trying to build that agritourism as a place for people to truly love agriculture you know we've got a hundred year old mule barn they're on the farm so and it's it's beautiful it's 
there's some some things there that you get, you know, with us established in 1835, you know, we're, we're 180 plus years old and there's reasons to fall in love with the land and that heritage and that. And my mom has a century farm seven miles up the road. So I jokingly say I had no choice but to become a farmer, but my brother didn't think the same as well. He has a different business, but we're still trying to incorporate the, the things that are there, the blessings that we have and have that enjoyment, that fun and the farm and the family. So you have a, a retail operation, you have a butcher shop, you have um, pumpkins and, and corn mazes. Talk to us about those and how did you decide those are the avenues I want to take? So we originally started as mom. She wanted to do school tours. So we were working on that 100-year-old meal barn, replacing the floor, and the local newspaper came out to our farm and said, hey, this is so cool. And mom made the comment that there are, there's so many kids who will never experience getting to play in that 100-year-old mule barn. And so the school started calling. And it was one of those deals where, well, sure, we can do that. You want to come to the farm? Yeah, sure. And so mom was very involved in the fair association and had been to different state fairs. And one of the state fairs did a farmer for the day where you go through the barns, or that's what we have on our farm, is we have little barns. So we have seven little barns and a grain bin. Uh, and thanks to the Tennessee Agricultural Enhancement Program, which is the, the state was able to give us a cost share to build some of the things that we probably wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. We really pushed education for a while and did not do a corn maze and pumpkin patch because we had a neighbor down the road who's also our cousin, and we didn't want to hurt our neighbor and cousin, so we did not do that. He decided to retire, and we gave him essentially two years to decide he wanted to come back, and we decided to do a corn mason pumpkin patch. We started as education and Easter, and then eventually we moved into fall. And then we've kind of expanded some more where we do Easter, fall, and then we're doing some flowers, which I never, ever thought I would grow flowers. And then we even did Christmas. Mm -hmm. So some of the ladies that's helping uh, on the farm, we call them a farmily, right? They're family, <laughs> part of the farm. And she was like, we have to do Christmas. so. They started making plans and essentially said, Andrew, we're going to do this. And so we've, we've successfully done one season with Santa and um, unsuccessfully did Christmas trees. And so I still think it's possible. You can do it. Just you, you need to. Need, it just hasn't worked yet. It right? hasn't worked yet. That's exactly go. right. It's, it's just because we use that bull on this cow. <laughs> right. You know, we'll use a different bull next time, right? And so we'll get the calf that we're looking for. And that's kind of to the point of... Um, it's okay to fail. Um, part of enterprises are you have to try new things, right? But I also heard you say that you kind of you start a little small and you kind of build up to that. Stephanie, you mentioned a really neat option of, I mean, you don't have to do all of this yourself. Can you talk to leasing or contracting things? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it is risk developing agritourism on your farm. It's risk financially, it's risk just reputation-wise, um, but also in terms of it's a, a brand new sector for a lot of farms and ranches. So looking at opportunities to kind of get your toes wet, um, you have the property, you have the land, you might not have the labor who can lead an ATV tour or lead an electric bike tour, but you have the property. And so you can partner with other tour 
operators and really it's just conversations in your community i'm not saying you have to like call up expedia or something <laughs> and be like ah. it's really just looking in your in your own community first of like maybe there's a young kid who wants to lead bike tours or something like that and so that's a way that you can start to learn agritourism without fully jumping into the deep end spending a million dollars or whatever it is and then being like oh my gosh this didn't work so um andrew had talked about it a little bit before is like events um events are a great way because they're kind of a one and done and you can learn at after each event um so you're like okay we hosted this group of 25 and now we we learn learn that lesson oh now we have 150 okay this is how we have to do things a little differently so i think you know for the weddings at kualoa we do not offer wedding planning at all and i swear there's a point to this because all we do is rent out the field we rent out the land and we literally say you have to have your own wedding planner. You have to coordinate all the infrastructure you need. You cannot call on us for last minute bathrooms. You cannot call on us for last minute flowers. And I think that for us is, you know, looking at labor and money. I, you might get into a contract with a bride and groom that is, oh, we need this, we need this, we need this. And we're like, nope, we're gonna establish these boundaries of our property. You're gonna honor the land as it is, but we have this connection that we can offer the, the field for rent. Um, I wanted to kind of touch on what you were talking about with the retail and the butcher shop. So in March 2020, COVID completely shut down our tourism operations and all of our agriculture and stewardship staff were considered essential. And like where our tourism staff got to have this break, our ag operations ramped up like never before and food security was really at the forefront. How do we help our local community? Now, I would say before COVID, a lot of our surrounding neighbors thought of us as the dinosaur place, right? Because Jurassic Park was filmed at Kualoa Ranch. We were a tourism operation. And even though the name Ranch was in the name, that connection wasn't quite there. So when we shut down, um, a lot of small farms in Hawaii lost their outlets to restaurants, right? Everything was completely shut down. But our tourism operation with the large parking lot, with large fridges and freezers set up to accept the public, we were able to start this drive-through COVID farmer's market. And a lot of our small farmers didn't have the infrastructure to do this, right? If you're a small egg farmer, you can't welcome 200 people to your farm to get eggs generally. So we started offering space in our market for small farms to help with that community development, that economic partnership, um, and really start to you know show our community, yes, we are tourism, but look, we are first and foremost ranching and farming. Maybe the dinosaurs are at the front, but ultimately you can get grass-fed beef here. You can get a ton of other crops. Um, and so that was kind of a, a neat side of agritourism a lot of times communities might think of downsides of agritourism it's noisy there's people permitting issues this was an opportunity to leverage those agritourism resources for the good of the community we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our podcast supporters today there are so many routes to market it's hard to know which one offers the most for your high quality calves feeding quality forum this summer brings together solutions and experts from across the beef industry They'll help you navigate market complexities, discover the latest product trends, and make connections to experts and fellow cattlemen. With today's volatility, you can't afford to miss this event, August 23rd to 24th in Kansas City. Save your seat at feedingqualityforum.com with registration open through July 31st. The Feeding Quality Forum is hosted by Certified Angus Beef, 
to help cattlemen leverage marketing opportunities and get paid what they deserve. You, you talked earlier about sell in, sell through. Yes. Um, can you talk to that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So sell in, sell through is the concept of uh, looking at how you're marketing and branding your operation. So what draws people in and then what are you going to talk to them throughout the tour? Um, some people equate it to kind of like a spoonful of sugar with medicine, uh, right? The sugar is what entices you and oh, you get the medicine during. But we look at it, uh, especially in terms of Kualoa, our sell-in, people know us for movies. Um, movie film locations, TV shows like Lost. People are coming there because that's sexy. People don't, a lot of people, not ranchers, a lot of other people besides ranchers don't think cows are sexy. So our sell-in is come experience the majestic valley. Come see where your imagination can run wild, where you might see a dinosaur. We always tell kids you might see a dinosaur if you're looking really hard. And when they don't spot one, we blame it on them. Um, <laughs> just kidding. So, um, but throughout the tour, we are driving past our cattle operation and people think they're decorations and we have to explain, oh no, this is a 100% grass-fed beef operation. You're seeing the rotational grazing happen. Um, you see our piggery over here. We use an old movie shed that they built for Jumanji. It's now our piggery. So we get to talk about local pork and they see chickens and you know, and because we're tropical agriculture, they're seeing bananas for the first time, or they're seeing papayas. Um, so we really have that opportunity to talk about agriculture the entire tour. Yes, we may say, oh, here's where 50 First Dates was filmed. Look at that cow, look at that pig, look at that tree, you know. Mm -hmm. um, or look at the native species we have in the, the mountains in our conservation areas. So it's really helped our guides who run our tours to think about what's the hook and then what are you going to sell through the tour? And then ultimately that can parlay into your retail operation. So when we have, we make chocolate at Kualoa and when we have, when we have too much chocolate. <laughs> is that a thing? Is that, is there no, ever too no, much not. chocolate? <laughs> this is absolutely a thing. No, it's not. <laughs> so Only you if you're allergic. <laughs> <laughs> so when we have a lot of chocolate bars, like we just had a run come in, we ask our guides, hey, can you talk a little bit more about cacao? If we're running low on chocolate, we're like, please don't push the chocolate down. We're going to have a lot of sad guests who are like, oh, I wanted that chocolate bar and you don't have any. Um, so connecting that sell through is not only good in terms of um, agricultural education for the public, but it also helps your retail options as well. Tell us about your events and then how that can help bring about ag education um, by bringing people in through different different means. Absolutely. So when we, every event that we do and everything that we have there at the farm, we have a great opportunity through photo ops. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're almost learning and having fun at the same time, but they're having so much fun, they don't really realize they're learning. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's such a cool idea and it doesn't really matter the age there's always something that you can learn you can you can go up and you can go down for every single age oh i didn't know that there's lots of ways you can do that and you can talk about the sustainability you can talk about sustainable farming and and practices that you can do or that you do or that you want to do and then like rotational grazing and you you have such a great opportunity to inform the public and educate them on why we farmers are doing what we do and so it's and it's different for each event so when you have them there in the spring we get to talk about baby animals or we, maybe you have a baby animal day we have a baby animal festival 
So, Perfect. like, literally, they get to come and pet baby animals. And, I mean, who doesn't love baby animals? Mm-hmm. It's like, who doesn't love chocolate? It's the same thing. Right. Just don't eat the baby animals. Just yeah. eat the chocolate, right? Right. So, well, you talked about having adding a weekend for pumpkin demolition, right? Yes. Yes. But then you still can use that to feed the cows. So Absolutely. So it's all full circle. Oh, and they do. They love that. That's one of their favorite things to do is to go and feed the cows. And then I'm sitting here. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning in the interview as well as, you know, we need to be taking our, our guest, and we've been saying it, we just need to do it, we need to take them out in the cow pasture on the hayride and show them exactly what's going on and why we're doing what we're doing and growing and try to prepare that. I mean, it's a great opportunity. We tell them about it a little bit, but we're not putting the hook in there like we should. So we have the great, I mean, we have a captive audience. So at our pig race, I'm always pushing something and I'm boss hog I'm boss hog I'm here Nancy and I'm gonna tell you right now we're gonna have us a good time are you guys ready to see a pig fly and you just now you guys need to scoot back you're gonna get some sausage on them shoes so there's there's great opportunity absolutely to and I say don't worry if your if your pig didn't win you can go up to the front and pick out a winner you can take home a piece of a win I mean a winner <laughs> So there's, there's great ways that we can still incorporate that. And so what I was going to say earlier on yours is you're talking about the different events. You, you almost have an after-action report on each event. And then if one of my brother's things, he goes, if you don't measure it, it's like expected progeny differences. If you don't measure it, how can you manage it? That's, that's one of the cool things that we took from the cattle business and tried to move it over into another part of business and say, hey, you know, this did well this didn't do well and what would happen if we we move it over you know 10 feet what what would happen and you you utilize that team to try to help you know by putting the right people on the bus like you have the right staff you have the right and and we all know the angus association has the right staff by having the right people on the bus it makes everything go easier go better let's talk about labor and, and how much time adding these these enterprises can be um, especially for maybe the younger generation coming home it's been a production operation what I guess are some of the first steps that either they need to look into or um, how can somebody get started on adding these type of layers to their operation so I think they really need to look at what they have like if you have mountains and a movie set you have what are your special skill sets that you have what makes you special what are you super proud of what what are your opportunities would be the first the first step one of the things that I should have mentioned and I did not by having a mastermind group so if you have a a group of like-minded people so we don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel at every turn we just need somebody who essentially has our best interest and you know my friend in Hawaii is we're not competing with each other. We can bounce ideas, having a mastermind or a focus group where, you know, we're all doing essentially the same thing and, you know, what what flew, what flopped, right? What worked well, what didn't work well. And when mine didn't work well, I talked to her and she's like, oh, this worked great for us and, and vice versa. So I think utilizing whatever advantages you have naturally and personal people but starting small for us was was good and letting it grow because it's really about expectations explaining that to your customers you know managing expectations 
is definitely a, a, a big, big part of this. I would say my advice for looking into agritourism opportunities, kind of first steps, is go on agritourism tours at other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't even have to be places that have similar <laughs> ecosystems as you. So, for example, um, there's a really, really popular lavender farm on Maui. We don't grow lavender. <laughs> it's a completely different island, you know, geographically very different, as you were saying. But you can go there on a tour and your your eyes are just open to something so foreign and new that it gets your creative juices flowing. I think, you know, my experience with ranchers and farmers are always looking for those measurements, you know, uh, business and that kind of thing. But people come on tours not because of economic metrics. They come on tours to have that experience, that sensory feeling. So you need to remind yourself of that feeling and go on different agritourism tours. So, for example, we have UTV tours. We've done UTV tours across the nation to kind of see what they do. Do they offer bandanas? Do they offer glasses? That kind of thing. Because there's only so much you can think of. And like you were saying, that focus group, that mastermind group, I might be completely uh, looking down a tunnel and I just cannot see any other opportunities. And Andrew's like, why don't you do this and move it 10 feet to the left? And, oh, my gosh, that works so much. So I think... Like Andrew said, assess your own operation. Look at your ecosystem. Look at look at what sets you apart from the herd, if you will. And then um, I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm learning at this convention. (laughs) Um, And then ultimately, take yourself out of your own comfort zone and just go on tours elsewhere. And you're going to learn so much. You're going to see how they do bathroom signage. You're going to see how they do parking spaces. You're going to see what does their retail operation look like? What does their signage look like? And then it will start to help you identify your own special skills and what you want to market yourself as. Great. Um, you both talked about um, kind of limiting liability. Can you talk about, unfortunately, it's it's the dark side of business, <laughs> I guess. As we talk about bringing people onto the farm, what do we need to think about to kind of keep our operation and ourselves safe? So you mentioned earlier that thinking like a customer, not thinking like a rancher or a <laughs> farmer, and thinking about what's safe. And I think that is a, absolutely right. And, and a first step, we also have to think about what they want to experience, like you were saying as well. So the liability-wise is definitely a concern, and that was a challenge at the beginning by going on those tours, mm-hmm. by having those contacts and talking to the people we were able to work through some of that and we're really blessed in Tennessee with Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation they're unbelievably good to work with so I would definitely contact my insurance Mm -hmm. agent and explain to them what you want to do and really maybe even show them what do you want to do and we were extremely extremely fortunate in in Tennessee whereas we have other friends maybe in Alabama that it's more of a litigious state and you have to be more more cautious and more concerned with your insurance. But absolutely, the, the liability is there. But some of the, a lot of the states have passed agritourism laws. So we have a Tennessee agritourism law, and it states that as long as your production agriculture side is larger than, and no, they didn't define that, is larger <laughs> than your agritourism side, you are still covered because you are a real working farm. That really helps us. And they have different laws for each state, obviously. But that's one of the things that, that we've worked on and we continue to work on in our state. 
really, really limits liability and helps a lot because there's already, we post signs. The customers know that you try to, you try to be in front, right? You try to not have any problems. You know problems are going to arise and then you try to do whatever you can to fix that. So because we are a rather large operation, we have about 750,000 to a million people come through our doors each year. We look, we look at safety and liability probably on a larger scale. So, you know, we are keeping track of accident metrics, all those <laughs> lovely metrics you were talking about. Um, and we're looking at kind of that mastermind focus group. So we have a safety committee that looks at our tours and identifies op- um, things that might not seem dangerous to a rancher or a farmer or staff, but to a new person, they have no concept, right? You, you'd be surprised how many people might not actually be able to walk up steps to get on a horse safely. Um, so you're now in terms of liability, now you're looking at how can we train our staff so that they can work with the people on the ground and be able to offer um, that advice to limit risk. You know, talking about insurance and permitting and all the different state laws and stuff, our liability comes mostly from vehicular accidents, mainly. And so, and we found that was, you can't ever fully identify one factor. But one of the things that we thought was maybe contributing to higher accidents was we kept selling the tour, like ATV adventure. Everything was like, maybe not aggressive, but it was extreme. It was you know ride this fast and do you know that kind of marketing right like rugged and all that kind of stuff um so of course people are going to want to speed on their atvs or be a little more reckless and so we had to put like governors on and slow things down so you can't let people go as fast as they want having more guides on tours is a huge thing if people are being watched by a staff person they're less likely to just like run off the course or (laughs) run off the path and then uh our marketing kind of transitioned more into you know, we are blessed with this really beautiful, majestic valley. We now market our tours as how do you experience the valley? Do you experience it on horseback? Do you experience it in a UTV? As opposed to the activity being the um, main way and like get your thrill from the activity. It's get your thrill of the valley, but you choose your transportation way. And then in terms of liability as well, you know, it, Welcoming anyone onto your property, even if if it's not paid, is liability. So it's managing that risk with what you're comfortable with. If you're just getting into agritourism, maybe don't start out with a 250-person event. Maybe start out with a group of 10 or 20. Um, And then that way you're minimizing your risk because you are also a newbie, so now you're training yourself in the process. Instead of going too big, too fast, and outgrowing what your property can handle. Perfect. Um, Let's switch gears just a little bit. You mentioned marketing. You talked about sense memories and how that can play into marketing. Um, Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was talking about appeal to the senses in any tourism operation. And this doesn't even just mean agritourism. We are poised to offer so many sense memories to our guests that it kind of blows my mind a little bit. At Kualoa, we can offer them some fresh cut papaya. And so they can see the tree, then they can experience the papaya right in front of them and get that connection to the land and where their food comes from. So many people in this country don't actually know about farms and ranches and how their food gets from farm to table. So it's taking that farm to table kind of foodie aspect, but putting it in an educational way for the public to appeal um, to appeal to the public excuse me so 
you know, having that cow lick their hand, you're going to remember that feeling more than Andrew telling you about the Ang- Angus cross breed and da 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 da. You know, he can tell you about that, but at the end of the day, you're going to remember how that cow's tongue felt on your hand. Or you're going to remember that papaya and you're going to be like, what was that fruit? Papaya. Let me Google that. Let me learn about papaya. How can I use it in um, my recipes? Appealing to the senses ultimately hits not only your five senses but your imagination or nostalgia. Nostalgia is a super powerful thing and I think farms and ranches offer so much nostalgia in them that people don't even recognize when they step onto the property. It's just something at the core of being on a farm and ranch. You just feel more alive. You just feel adventurous and open to new things and like Andrew was talking about like photo ops, um, teaching people like even with the photo op, they're just taking photos for Instagram, but you can like interlace it with facts or interesting things about agriculture. And then now they have an Instagram post that they're sharing and it has like all the facts of the farm or that kind of thing. So in terms of uh, the sense memories, farms and ranches are so used to having that amazing sensory experience every day outside, almost every day that maybe forgetting that a lot of people are actually indoors all day. Um, And just being outside in the sun sometimes is like thrilling for people. So how do you, you know, I I hate to use this word, but how do you capitalize on all this um, grand nature that you have around you, but put it in a way that people can remember these senses and ultimately in the future, if you have a respect for nature, you're more likely to care for it and respect it in the future and share that with your children. Some people think only in numbers and that's great. A lot of people don't, but if you hit them at their core and in their heart, they're going to remember it longer. No, I agree with her 100%. I'm just more of a numbers person, but that's what we are. We're working on that nostalgia. You know, their grandmother had a farm. They played in a barn loft. We're still doing those same things. I'm just using metrics to show me how I can grow (laughs) and and where I can change. And my customers, through their monetary, through their spending, I mean, we we farmers know that if we're growing it the way that they want, right, Mm -hmm. they're going to spend their money because they're they're voting three times a day with that dollars. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, we we are attached to that experience and that nostalgia. And they will even drive by the farm and they go, I wonder what they're building for me now. Or they'll they'll fix that meal and have that papaya, and you remember? Do you remember when we went to that awesome ranch? And then you relive those memories not only as a parent but as a child, and then you want to replicate that that experience, that positive experience for the next generation or or the the people that are special to you. So that's what agritourism is also about: is the ability to get them involved with the land and to fall in love with the land and fall in love with our heritage and everything that we sometimes take for granted. I mean, we're, we're truly blessed. Absolutely. I think that is a perfect wrap-up. I think we could probably talk for a lot longer. Thank you guys both for your time. Um, we both know, and you've both talked about, this is a people business, not just a cattle business. So I'd like to end on some good news. If you could tell me something good that's happened to you, whether it's personal or professional, we'll end on that. So one of the good things that's happened to us is the CARES Act gave us funding and we were able to to take the nudge of COVID and when we tell people that we use some of that that CARES money now granted it took a year and a half (laughs) to receive the money but we were able to to put that in and I believe make a legacy change on our farm that we truly are 
you know, we were just seed stock producers, and so we were only seeing the breeding part of it. And, and you know, we're, when we're cow-calf producers, we were only seeing the beginning of that, and now we're really getting to see it and experiencing that. Um, and the customer relationship that we get to experience is just, it's, it's a big deal. Like, I, I just had a message earlier today that says, and it was a sign, this is true story, it was a sign. He said, this is certified Angus beef. And they showed a picture of it. They said, this is the best you can find, or you need to call Andrew Donald. <laughs> nice. Of course, I mean, I just thought how fitting that was. Mm-hmm. And it truly is an, a, a great opportunity for our farm and a great opportunity to, to share our experience and way of life. And then I'll also say that, you know, we had a really good year last year and we set new records all right so we we really set new records oh, I love and that. so that was fantastic my numbers brain coming out in me so I think our good news is you know during COVID I talked about that drive through farmers market and we had this old buffet hall well buffets were outlawed Um, all tourism right and uh, so during that time this hall was just empty and we our agriculture team was like well can we use it to kind of create an all local grocery store and our president was like sure it's not being used buffets will come back one day though so like watch out Um, and he was always very supportive but watch out that buffet is coming back you know Um, And so that was started in June 2020, um, and I was talking about helping our small local farms and offer their products in our market as well. So at the end of 2020, we had eight partner farms that we were working with. So that means we had eight different small farms offering their products in our all-local grocery store that features our beef and our other products as well. And at the end of 2021, we now have 28 small partner farms, and it's really just built this agricultural community not only across Oahu but throughout the islands where you know farms and ranches typically are pretty isolated now we have this little network um, of ag uh, enthusiasts if you will who all have the common goal of how do we get local products either in local hands or visitors so that they can support local agriculture in Hawaii oh that is so cool I am going to chime in on this one just because We've talked about how cool networks are. I've just learned that both Andrew and Stephanie and I have all scuba dove, scuba dove, yeah, <laughs> in Australia. So you just never know what you're going to learn when you come to an event like this. So thanks for tuning in. This has been Angus at Work, and we'll see you next time.